Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Our guest today is Lieutenant Colonel Daniel King, United States Pacific Command. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Daniel, give us a brief overview of United States Pacific Command. What's the command's mission, and what specifically is your role here? Thank you, Eric. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today with you. Um, I am the Deputy Director of uh, U.S. Pacific Command Public Affairs. Um, we are one of the uh, United States Geographic Combatant Commands uh, responsible for the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, that encompasses about 51% of the Earth's surface. Uh, for lack of a better definition, from the west coast of California to the west coast of India, from the North Pole down to the South Pole. Um, a tremendous expanse of geographic space. 36 nations uh, exist and 3.4 billion peoples. Tremendously diverse and also tremendously uh, dynamic in its peoples, in its economies, in its politics, in its diplomacy. Um, a, a region that is, is, has had its share of both disaster and tremendous success. Um, our mission here at U.S. Pacific Command is uh, working with our partners and our allies uh, throughout the region um, to facilitate, encourage, excuse me, facilitate and and improve the security of the Asia Pacific region again through our partners and allies um, in order to continue the remarkable stability uh, that the region has uh, uh, continued to benefit from for about the past 60 years. Uh, five of our seven uh, U.S. Uh, treaties exist in our region. Uh, some of our most long-standing allies are out here in the Asia-Pacific region. Um, just a region that is defined by the challenges and the opportunities, I think is best uh, said, over $1.3 trillion of uh, international commerce moves back and forth across the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, and all of that facilitated by the security and the stability factors that are at play out here in conjunction with the United States and our allies and partners. So when you talk about challenges, let's uh, address them specifically. What are the biggest threats facing the United States in the Pacific? Challenges come in many forms, shape and forms. It can come from adversaries. It can come from aggressors. It can come from natural disaster. Uh, again, you have to take this back out to a, a, a elevation almost that any challenge or any threat to the stability of the region would manifest in conditions that would not be conducive to what the United States is trying to accomplish here. The unfettered access to the global commons, meaning the lines of communication economically, militarily, security, publicly are what keep this region alive. It is the flow of vitality through the region. So threats can take a military form. Threats can take a form of a natural disaster, humanitarian disaster. Any one of, of these challenges potentially could affect 
the security environment that we are here to protect. On uh, the 24th of July, uh, the AP broke a story, you probably saw it, North Korea issues a new warning, and I'll read you the lead. It says, um, Seoul, South Korea, Associated Press, North Korea vowed Saturday to respond with, quote, powerful nuclear deterrence, unquote, to joint American and South Korean military exercises poised to begin this weekend, saying the drills amounted to a provocation that would prompt retaliatory, retaliatory sacred war. Um, talk to us, if you would, uh, about um, the uh, uh, alleged uh, sinking of a um, South Korean warship, the Chinon, by a, um, well, alleged North Korean submarine. Uh, what did that mean for you as a communicator, and uh, I guess what threats does it pose to the United States? Mm. Um First, the uh, comment made by the North Koreans was in response to the beginning of Exercise Invincible Spirit, uh, which is a joint uh, U.S. Uh, Republic of Korea, uh, otherwise known as South Korea, military exercise uh, in response to the sinking of the Cheonan, which you mentioned, in which uh, 46 uh, South Korean uh, Navy service members and officers lost their lives. Uh, at the conclusion of a international investigation, uh, that the that was sponsored by the South Koreans. The uh, conclusion of that investigation found that there were no other uh, possibilities other than there had been an explosion uh, that literally ripped the vessel in two. Uh, that explosion, uh, due to evidence that was found on the site, was found to be caused by a torpedo, um, and that torpedo and the wreckage that was found was linked to um, North Korea. Uh, the UN uh, reviewed the data and uh, also agreed uh, that the vessel had been sunk by a torpedo. However, the UN did not go as far as to specifically subscribe the torpedo launch to the North Koreans. Um, North Korea is a long-standing challenge out here, and it is a threat, as I said earlier, to the stability of the region. Uh, the rhetoric, the actions uh, that the North Koreans have taken is a threat to the ongoing prosperity of the region because of that flow of through the commons. Um, and that affects all the countries in, in the area, uh, specifically the North, uh, North Asia region. Um, this is a show of force exercise. Uh, and the response to that was what the North Koreans were referring to. Uh, two, 20 surface vessels, 200 aircraft uh, over a multi-day uh, sh- uh, defensive, primarily defensive exercise uh, in the waters around Korea. Um, this is not the first exercise, and this is only the beginning of a number of exercises um, that are designed to reinforce uh, our commitment to the peoples of South Korea, uh, our alliance with South Korea and our partners throughout the region and our allies. This is a demonstration of our commitment to ensuring the security and stability of the peninsula and also to the water surrounding our allies in the region. Tell me, um, on the day that the Chunan was sunk, uh, where you were when you got the news, what happened, and what was the course of action for you and your team as a result? And it's an interesting question because um, we're... Previously, you would get information either through operational channels uh, or potentially from CNN or television. This case came through as a uh, wire service 
alert from the AP, which came into my inbox, that, that there had been an explosion aboard a South Korean vessel. Um, at that point, uncharacterized. Um, could have been accidental, could have been otherwise. We weren't sure, sure for quite some time. But, again, the, the, the media was trying to get the information as best they had the time, but it was happening so quickly that, uh, from a public affairs standpoint, uh, the media was, was, was about as informed as everybody was in the initial hours of the actual incident. And once you found out about it, what did you do? What was your course of action? At that point, uh, we begin to look internally. We begin to look uh, inside of the channels and inside of the operational capabilities that we have here at the U.S. Pacific Command, uh, either through intelligence or through operational traffic messaging, uh, to see if there are any indications that something may have had a signal prior to the actual event. Uh, and that review takes time. And the same time, uh, in, in concert with our forces in Korea and those of the um, South Koreans, talking with them, communicating with them, coordinating with them, trying to find out what they think happened. And as this developed over time, I think it's important to also uh, recognize that the South Koreans went at this very deliberately. They were patient and responsible. Uh, they took their time. They invited in the international community. And as this investigation started to take shape, it took some time. It took months, as a matter of fact, to actually look at all the evidence to perform the recovery of the vessel. And all the meanwhile, uh, this type of, of dialogue discussion was taking place inside of an open space, inside of the media, conjecture, speculation. And yet they maintained their responsibility uh, towards keeping as, as balanced an investigation as they possibly could, looking at all the possibilities. And only then, after a lengthy investigation, coming to a conclusion uh, in concert with those international partners that were involved in the investigation. Remarkable in their restraint, uh, rather than rush to judgment. Um, the media, uh, the, 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 the international community, uh, certainly full of opinion and conjecture, um, but nothing until actually that investigation had concluded could we honestly say we knew what had happened. I saw some reports about posters, propaganda posters, inside of North Korea uh, showing a ship uh, exploding um, with uh, some language saying, you know, we protect our borders. Um, are you aware of this? Did you hear about these? I saw the reports as well. I believe it was a European uh, country that had an embassy inside of North Korea that actually had seen the posters. Um, that type of rhetoric is not unusual for North Korea. And, and uh, you... Are, both the South Koreans are fully uh, exposed to this sort of propaganda, and we are certainly aware of it, but uh, rhetoric is not potentially helpful in these uh, times, especially when you have an act as egregious as a, a, a explosion which takes the lives of 46 uh, South Korean service members. Um, propaganda is a tool. Uh, tool to control the perceptions of a populist republic. Uh, we look at uh, we look at it obviously with a jaundiced eye. We're in an open space. North Korean, however, their peoples are in a controlled information space. Uh, but yes, I am aware of the report of the posters. What's the uh, possibility of North Korea actually following through on something like the AP story mentioned? This idea of a you know a nuclear deterrent. 
The United States does not recognize North Korea as a nuclear nation. However, there are reports uh, that they have uh, successfully tested nuclear devices. Uh, we uh, obviously that is that is the nexus that is the, the greatest concern for the United States government is obviously a, a unchecked North Korea with a nuclear capability. Um, and I think the region is greatly concerned um, with that sort of capability in the hands of an unknown quantity, in the hands of uh, whether it be to proliferate that technology beyond its borders or even to use it offensively against uh, the South Koreans. The state of war has continued to exist between North and South Korea. Um, they do have military capabilities that in some cases are fairly significant. Um, however, uh, I, I am not going beyond the bounds to say that the U.S. and the ROC Alliance have extraordinary capabilities, and we have been working together for literally decades. Um, this is a combined force, a coalition force, that is very well trained and fully capable of defending the peninsula as our commitments are to the alliance. On the Record Online is the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America International Conference. To hear in-depth one-on-one interviews with PRSA conference keynoters, presenters, and panelists, search keyword PRSA on our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Join us October 16th through 19th in Washington, D.C. for the PRSA 2010 International Conference. Um, a fake uh, Facebook profile for Admiral Willard, who's the top-ranking military official at U.S. Pacific Command, recently appeared online. Uh, what was the impact, and how did you deal with this spoofed identity online? Um, what's interesting, Eric, is that it appears that there were a number of spoofs that went on about the same period of time. Uh, General Odenero from MNFI, I think, said previous week that there were six pages of him that had appeared uh, on Facebook as well. This is a challenge. If you're going to be in the information space, um, your leaders um, are are going to have to be able to control the real estate that is their brand, that is their image. Um, In our case, Admiral Willard did not have a Facebook page, and someone took advantage of that. Um, First step, obviously, was we were alerted to the fact because there were some friends of his that had friended him on Facebook and had received some traffic that was unusual. And so they contacted people here at the command to say that this doesn't sound like Admiral Willard. And, in fact, it appears to be... um, the, the tried and tested uh, uh, internet scam of I am an individual in a foreign country, I have a large amount of money that I can't send through the banks. If you give me your information, I will send you the money. Uh, we've all received the emails before. However, this is, appears to be a new tack, is trying to use social media to leverage the same thing by impersonating another individual that may have a public presence, public identity. Uh, first step, obviously, was to attempt to contact those who were uh, friended on Admiral Willard's site, or Admiral Willard's Facebook page, about 20, 28 of them at the beginning. Um, and after the initial communications went out to those individuals, we contacted Facebook and alerted them to the fact that we believe this was a spoofed site. Uh, the requirement, the policy by Facebook is that you have to have a a, a, a certified site of the individual that has um, potentially been spoofed, that has now been established, and we have been successful, from what I'm told, to take down the uh, spoof site. All in all, it took about a week of uh, contacting individuals and actually working with Facebook to get the uh, spoof site taken down. What do you make of the uh, use of video during the recent uh, Gaza flotilla raids 
both by the activists and the IDF. Um, and what, if any, lessons do you take away from that as a military public affairs person? It's a good question. Um, the hardest thing about being inside of a revolution is knowing that you're in one. Um, the Gaza Flotilla is an extraordinary case study of how individuals, small group, were able to leverage um, relatively common technology um, to get information out into a public space very quickly. Um, the challenge we face in, in military public affairs and also in uh, from a U.S. government standpoint is that in the information age, in the information revolution, the few can affect the many, which is a completely is a complete flip of the paradigm where the the many affect the few. Um, we will always be at a disadvantage when it comes to the release of information, uh, even if you're prepared as a military operator uh, that you are going to have footage. That footage always needs to be reviewed. That footage always needs to be checked uh, to see if it is any sort of release of, of tactics, techniques, procedures that could potentially be exploited later down the line. Uh, the In the Gaza case, um, the Israelis appeared to be prepared for that and had footage of uh, what the operation entailed, but the uh, activists on the boat uh, appeared to be organized right from the beginning to, to create an incident that they were going to be able to have an information advantage for a period of time before the Israelis were able to mount a campaign to discredit it or to be truthful as to what happened. Those hours, those those minutes, those those days uh, formulate opinion. The dialogue is ongoing, and if you don't have any footage that can actually counter what's being said, and if they have footage that is telling a story and you don't have any footage to tell an other side of a story, you're at such an extraordinary disadvantage that you aren't even able to engage in the space. Um, I recall back to the incident that took place uh, in the Persian Gulf where a British vessel uh, had supposedly uh, crossed into Iranian territorial waters. Uh, the Iranians uh, had uh, then taken control of the vessel. Um, that information space moved very quickly but there was one photograph taken from a helicopter directly above um, the British vessel, which had the pilot holding up a GPS and taking a photograph which showed specifically where the vessel was. That image was, while well, certainly could have been manufactured, was released with such speed that it completely changed the dynamic of the argument from an international diplomatic standpoint. Just one photograph. And at that time, the Iranians didn't have anything other than what their reports were saying. And yet here was a visual image that was basically answering all the questions that were involved in the incident. It's the speed of the information. It travels literally light speed, and it goes globally. Um, if you're facing an adversary that controls the means of distribution, um, that has a flat organization that's able to release information rapidly, almost instantaneously, live broadcast, for example, um, hierarchical organizations like militaries, like governments, are always going to be challenged um, to be able to, to establish their position inside of an information space that is that flat and that fast. 
is there a way to accelerate the process of declassifying this information? Does it have to take so long? Or maybe it doesn't take that long, but I mean, if it's a war of speed in the information landscape, then is there a way to accelerate the process of getting that information out there? It's, again, a very valid question. Um, the classification of information in this day and age is an issue that we see played out even now in the, the WikiLeaks case. It's one of the uh, issues, points of discussion last night I saw on CNN. Um, all these documents released that were classified and yet uh, appear to be relatively innocuous information. And that's the point. Information in and of itself is not good or bad. It's information. It's in context, and it's in the aggregation that you get patterns, that you get information that becomes knowledge. It's valuable. Um, there will always be a responsibility to review content for releasability. Uh, there will always be a responsibility to look at this, because when information is taken in an aggregation, you can put together patterns. Um, you can preposition people like public affairs officers, like combat camera people, to preposition to make the content first of all, captured, second, to speed the process by which it can be released, but it's always going to be a difficult decision. Uh, in the Gaza case, it appears that the activists were fully prepared and had fully intended this to be an incident that was going to show one side of a conflict. Um, if uh, the Israelis had no indication that that was the case, then they may have been unprepared. I don't know. It's really not my place to say. However, um, you can be prepared, um, as we do here, to ensure that when you do operations that you have the ability to capture images and video live, if possible, um, and then transmit that uh, to responsible individuals who review it and can release it as fast as possible. I reports from Taiwan after an earthquake will always be faster than the official government status as to how much damage was done in that country after an earthquake. That happens everywhere. Um, part of it also has to do with responsibility. Um, governments, politicians, leaders, diplomats, military members always have a responsibility to speak as much of the truth as they can at the time. Um, that's just part of responsible democracy, at least in our case. Um, if you're only telling one side of the story, you're not hamstrung. You're not restricted by that responsibility. I, um, I wrote a blog post uh, that I uploaded this week about um, the origins of social media at the Department of Defense, crediting uh, Jack Holt, who's the director of emerging communications at the Office of the Joint Chiefs, um, with uh, the Blogger Roundtable, which came out of a... Um, challenge that the multinational forces in Iraq were having at getting uh, footage, um, combat camera footage from the battle on Haifa Street uh, to stick with the U.S. news media beyond uh, one news cycle. Do you think um, that video becomes more or less important in the business of military public affairs? I think it's more important. Uh, images um, speak a story in and of themselves, especially when they're video. Uh, video is very hard to manufacture. 
uh, in terms of, of deception. Um, and so, obviously, having live footage taken from a specific location is probably the most re- reliable information that you can have, at least at the outset. Um, again, you're only looking at one perspective of an incident, so that has to be taken in some context. But I think it's more important to recognize that the U.S. Department of Defense fully recognizes that social media, new media, the technologies that we're seeing today, part of the convergence of the information um, and the technology uh, capabilities that are available to everyone has changed the way that we do business, and we're never going to be able to go back to the way things work. There is still very much a role for traditional media in providing credible, accurate information, but the timeliness and the speed and the demand for information continues to go vertically, exponentially. And as long as that environment continues to proliferate, there will always be a need for content. For an inside perspective on exactly what it takes to handle communications at the White House, the U.S. Department of Defense, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, and the U.S. Department of State, search keyword GOV20 on our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. talked about North Korea, um, but not about China. And um, uh, Admiral Willard has said publicly he sees China as the most significant threat moving forward for the U.S. and the Pacific. Um, How does Google's decision to pull out of China and China's censorship of the web impact your job as a communicator? Admiral Willard's comments were were taken uh, in regard to uh, the growth in Chinese military capabilities and lack of transparency. I don't think he actually used the word threat, but I do think that we do see this as an area that we are concerned with. The incident with Google and the, the departure of Google from China is central to the issue of much broader challenge, and that is how governments view information and whether it is sovereign, whether the perceptive space of people's are something that need to be controlled. Um, Obviously, from our perspective, uh, we see the Internet as a remarkably open space. Uh, We see all of the things that are going on on the Internet is not necessarily good, but it's flat, and it is uh, public space, public commons, much the same way as referred to the the Pacific. Uh, The government of China does not necessarily believe in that and they also uh, believe that they have a responsibility to control the information that their people see. Um, The Great Firewall is sometimes referred to as the efforts that the Chinese government takes to try to control the information. However, uh, I I think, as I said previously, inside of an information, inside of a revolution, it's very difficult to define the parameters of development. Just for example, Dalai Lama opened up a Twitter account recently. He has about 5,000 followers, but he's Twittering in Mandarin. That's significant. Um, and the Chinese will attempt, no doubt, to try to block that information from getting into its publics. But it's going to be difficult. He's one Twitter. Um, there are a number of other channels that were previously unavailable. So I think it's going to be a significant challenge for all nations, for all governments, as they try to control information as it transits globally. Um, you can try to control the pipes coming into the country, but no sooner you do that than there is another technology that enables another capability. 
information does not respect borders. It traverses, it transits, it crosses, it moves back and forth. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest mistakes one can make is that you feel that you actually have control over information. You need to be in the space, you need to be engaged with the information, but to think that you can actually control an idea, to control information, I think is a misperception. Now, we met at the social media boot camp I taught at NORAD U.S. Northern Command in Colorado Springs earlier this year. Um, How engaged in social media communications would you say U.S. Pacific Command was before that workshop? U.S. PACOM had begun the programs and the projects that we're involved with now. We had a presence on Facebook. We had a blog. Uh, We had a website. Um, Given the topics that you and I, or that that you had uh, lectured on when I was at NORTHCOM, I came back with a better understanding, a better understanding of what the relationships were you had with your audience in social media and how it was more of a stakeholder relationship as opposed to simply a one-way or two-way relationship. Uh, completely mis- uh, completely misunderstood previously the role of the blog and how it is a two-way conversation with a stadium full of people that are listening to it. And your two-way conversation may involve all the people in the stadium. It may just be between two, but it is witnessed in an open space. Um, we're working through uh, the concepts that are associated with different techniques in social media, but I think the important aspect to it is that we have made fundamental changes to the information that we share. Um, Albert Miller permits us to uh, distribute or post uh, third-party content uh, via our website and our social media channels, and that's important, obviously in keeping with, with copyright restrictions, but still that we realize that the audience is not necessarily interested specifically in Paycom and more about the region and the work that we do out here. And that is very much our mission, uh, to to help the world understand the challenges and opportunities, the progress and the areas that we can continue to facilitate. It's not necessarily about us. Together, we're much stronger than we are alone. And specifically in this region, that's why allies and partners are so valuable. It may be a a new military capability in India. We may have a story about that. It may be uh, an economic development with the Philippines and another country in Singapore. Um, All these things represent remarkable progress, remarkable opportunities, and our audiences are interested in that sort of thing. Um, It's important, and in doing so, we're doing what social media really is all about, and that's adding value to the information. It's not just us distributing as much as us helping people understand why it's important. Um, And I think that's always been public affairs responsibility. It's always been a public relations responsibility. Um, Being able to help educate, inform, truthful, accurate, timely content. Um, It's another medium by which we engage, but it still really does come down to the fundamental mission of public affairs. U.S. Pacific Command is a fairly large organization. Um, You guys work with uh, uh, United States forces in Korea, United States forces in Japan, um, with uh, some think tanks. Uh, What would you say has been the evolution of the organization um, in integrating social media into how it communicates? And, you know, what has your role been in sort of, I guess, helping uh, other folks throughout U.S. Pacific Command 
realize what the possibilities might be? Um, the challenge that we face is that these organizations have developed over the past 50 years. These are long-standing organizations. They have a process. They have a way of doing things. As I've said previously, things are changing. Organizations are changing. Information is changing. Um, these organizations are challenged by how to communicate in these new spaces, how to communicate. The third largest population on Facebook is Indonesian. Um, very much one of our responsibilities, and yet these organizations are having a hard time understanding or at least being able to leverage how these new mediums can be uh, managed, how these new mediums can be uh, engaged with. Um, this was one of the things that I came out of the NORAD conference with, that there needed to be training, there needed to be capabilities, there needed to be people inside of these organizations that were able to engage in this space and that the leaders needed to recognize how much of a change this was. Um, to do that, you need to empower people to be confident, to be able to engage in this space in a way that is responsible, but also to not be afraid of it. Um, recognize this is unrestrained communications. Social media is as about as raw communications environment as there is. It's not going to supplant traditional media relations, but if you're not in the space, the conversation is going to go on without you, and you have to be able to at least be part of the conversation. Um, that's difficult for some leaders to recognize, um, but the most important thing was to get people exposed to the techniques, the tactics that you've mentioned in your lectures, um, and also I think the Department of Defense recognizes how important this is, and you're seeing a lot more policy guidance, a lot more guide programs uh, that are in place right now to get people empowered uh, to communicate in this new space. Lieutenant Colonel Daniel King, United States Pacific Command, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.